When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Oh What A Time, the history podcast where we try to figure out if the past was absolutely rubbish. I'm Chris Skull. Joining me also, Tom Crane and Ellis James. A bit of a different show today because um, the the email, the correspondence has been, I mean, the, our inbox has been red hot. Red hot like a blacksmith's forge. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Not like a judge's gavel. <laughs> what I like about that is normally when you dispensing justice, <laughs> when you charge into a simile, you have some idea of what that simile might be. But Chris went straight in, red hot like it, and then thought, "Oh, I'm I'm in too deep now. <laughs> I'm panicking. What have I got?" And you thought to yourself, "This is a history podcast. I might be discrediting myself." <laughs> it's funny. Blacksmith was the first hot profession that came to mind. I like that. Well, it's good. Hot though. air balloonist. Only a part of that is hot. Of course. <laughs> the top of his head and the flame. The rest should be quite cool. <laughs> Ideally. It's as yeah, it's as hot as a hot air balloonist's basket. There we are. <laughs> if I got in a hot air balloon and the basket felt hot, I'd immediately get out again, incidentally. I'm not going I'm sticking with this trip. This feels like this is gonna end well. I'd raise my hand. Yeah, further into the flame. You've lost that. That's gone. <laughs> Can I say if I was if the the Victorians didn't they come up with a hot air balloon, but like We've stuck with wicker, haven't we? Against yeah. all odds. You'd, th- you'd think wicker would be a terrible idea. Now, that is a very good observation. <laughs> yes. The one bit they haven't changed. <laughs> well, what would- you think there'd be some sort of fibreglass <laughs> basket now. Yeah. It makes it a very old school... But maybe, can I give the argument, Ellis, that maybe that's what people enjoy, that actually it's quite a nostalgic form of travel, and that's why they've stuck with the wicker. Uh- well, two things. It's not a form of travel. <laughs> right, okay. Are you going to work on Monday? Probably hot air balloon. Well, what is it then? And B, it's a kind of odd pastime. And B, surely, sh- surely the 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 what people enjoy is the height. Okay, I'll give you that. Not the fact that they're in a bit of wicker. You can, like I could be in wicker in pretty much any conservatory in the UK. I actually think Tom's work will take to it when he turns up five hours late and says, "Sorry, the wind changed this morning." Hovering, hovering above a writer's room, I'm already late for, and saying, "Guys, I'm I'm above you. I just don't know how to make this go down. Can someone tell me how? I, I do want to be in work. I just don't know how to reach you. Do I come down a rope? What do I do? Yeah. What What do I do now? Yeah. If it, yeah, if you all get a ladder, I've kind of I'm in the right spot. I'm just I'm just, I'm just too high. Yeah, yeah. It's um I wouldn't I wouldn't class the hot air balloons. Okay, fair spot. I'm I'm willing to concede. Good point though. Good point about uh, the wicker. Yeah, that does make sense. That's that's really interesting. The point is though, uh, rather than the wicker and the and the, the uh, boiling hot blacksmith, we've had lots of emails. That's that's the point, isn't it? Well, I think there's a second point as well. It's the sheer quality of the emails. Absolutely. They are 
incredible. It's brilliant. I want to be friends with all of our listeners. That's the thing that always comes across. I was thinking, oh, you, you strike me as a really good person <laughs> who writes very, very funny emails. That means we don't have to do as much work. It's it's the quality. You are right, Ellis. The quality of stuff that our listeners... Yeah. Do, other, do other podcasts get this? Is this is this are we are we alone? Are we lucky? I would say we're I would I wouldn't say we're outliers, but I would say we're certainly in, in the top one yeah, percent. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to start naming podcasts that have name, worse emails. Name them. name them. Even though I'm desperate to name and shame. Does all right? I'm going to do it. Does Peter Crouch? Does the Peter Crouch podcast get emails as good as ours? Almost certainly not. Exactly. So, so this is a special episode, isn't it, Chris? What what are we doing today? We are going through your correspondence. The the three main, the three of the world's top four podcasting features, yeah, are going to get their own time. They're going to get their own time to really flourish. I was going to say fester. That's not the word I'm looking for. Just their own time to really percolate, percolate and flourish. Yeah. I can't stop thinking about being a blacksmith now. It's a that is a tough. The heat. If you get burned. Oh, dear. I can guarantee to you that I would be injured on day one. Yes. And it would be, in, it would be a, a classic life-altering. <laughs> My grandfather lost an eye welding. Welding? Wow. Yeah, in the early 50s, yeah. Uh, spark, I think. Stray spark. Oh. Wallop. But, uh, yeah. So was he not the, wearing a mask? Uh, it was 1954, so <laughs> I think... This is pre-mask. I think people... <laughs> I think people laughed at masks in the 50s. When was the mask invented? It was 1955, wasn't it? Yeah. When it first came in. What are the chances? I I do think, though, Ellis, I do agree. Medieval um, blacksmith is up there with the worst jobs you can possibly have. Oh, my God. Like, first of all, it's the danger, it's the sparks, it's the heat. Secondly, it's the strength of holding up the things you've got to wallop things with. Thirdly, tough medieval types who are promising to pay you for things you've done, but they, they haven't yeah. paid you yet. It's also that aspect of Imagine, getting your money from hard medieval people. Imagine being a blacksmith all day and at the end of it you don't get paid. Because <laughs> some, someone hasn't done a check run on your invoice. <laughs> yeah. In the next three months, max, you'll get paid. Don't worry. They're always covered in dirt as well. Yeah. Like going home to bed, your bed sheets will be covered in like tar half the time. Another thing they used to um, there was there was had a bizarrely important role in children's television when I was a kid. I don't think it's on children's television as much anymore. Was glass blowing? Oh yes, that always looked <laughs> yes. pretty unpleasant as a job. They would always get someone from Blue Peter to do some glass blowing, and that 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 looks very hot and. Uh, uncomfortable. You know, in the same way that you get shoe repairers and key cutters and the same yeah. thing, aren't aren't blacksmiths and glass blowers kind of? A, a, if you went to a, a blacksmith, would they be doing glass blowers in the same shop? No, but I think I think they'd have a lot to talk about at a wedding. If you're yes. on the same table, yeah. <laughs> well, I think we've we found another feature, if not a feature, certainly a topic for people to email us on. Which medieval job would be by today's standard? A, Standards a bit of a skive. Bearing in mind, I don't want to get burnt. I'm kind of my body's built for podcasting, but I feel very, very lucky that obviously I live now and not in you know 500 BC or the year 1300 or whatever. So, so yeah, any any old job that would have been a bit of a skive because I reckon agriculture would be a nightmare. Yeah. You'd get a, you'd get a bad back and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I just, I just need skive jobs. So you want easy jobs? If you were to go back in time, easy jobs. That's what you're saying. Bearing in mind, before anyone suggests like clerk 
or civil yep. servant, I find admin very boring. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I've thought of the situation. We were discussing there briefly about the idea of um, trying to get paid for work you've done as a blacksmith. The mistake I would make would be this along these sort of lines. I would make someone a sword. I would hand them the sword, and then I would ask for the money. And now they've got a sword. <laughs> and obviously I've lost all power. And I'll think, why didn't I ask for the money before giving them the weapon? You, this is 400 times in a row now, Tom. Imagine being stabbed with, your, with a weapon that you'd spent hours making. <laughs> Safe in the knowledge that it's still hot as yeah. well. The amount of... Exactly. Oh, the amount of love that went into that weapon. Oh. It's not even a room temperature sword. I did an all-nighter on that one. Because I was actually really enjoying the craft of it. You can hear your liver cooking because the sword is still hot. (laughs) All right, you horrible lot. Here's how you can stay in touch with the show. You can email us at hello at ohwhatatime.com and... You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Oh What A Time Pod. Now, clear off. I am uh, taking the first section of this episode. Uh, and yeah, sure, I've just come up with another great email topic. We're just coming up with topics, features, items, left, right, and centre. It's effortless. It's effortless podcasting. <laughs> Um, However, the greatest feature in the history of podcasting, um, invented, of course, by Tom's wife, uh, Claire, One Day Time Machine. And we've had lots in on this. So this is... Should we we, be rude not to listen to the jingle? Should we do the jingle? Go for it. It's the One Day Time Machine. 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 machine. Now, this first email is, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, uh, Jope. Uh, Job Smeets, if I'm sent back to, let's say, the 12th century, I would tell anybody who wants to hear about it, uh, about an enormous continent with massive natural resources if you just head due east. I'd say that Japan is off the coast of China, that Australia is somewhere. If you <laughs> if you just follow this basic world map I just drew for you, I'd study upon cartography. I'd focus on rivers, natural harbours and mountain ranges before taking the time machine home. I do not know how to sail and get very seasick, so the success of my plan would entirely hinge on if people in that time knew how to uh, go do anywhere on boats. That's, I mean, that's very vague. Do anywhere... I love that writing. That's beautiful. Yeah. You turn up and you go, okay, if you head east, sorry, what's yeah, yeah. east? Uh, what are you on about? Yeah. There's no frame of reference here. And then I say the phrase, I then say, never eat shredded wheat. And I'll say, well, how does that help? And I say, that, that's all I have. That's, that's all I have. So the success of my plan would entirely hinge on if people in that time knew how to go do anywhere on boats and could spare a few ships to go, uh, to go uh, follow up what I'd said, come back, confirm everything I'd said, and then surely fame and glory would be mine. Um, I mean, Joe, as he's hit the nail on the head there, really. You'd have so much knowledge, but it would be difficult to convince people, wouldn't it? Mm. Like you're just going up to some random person in the street saying, Australia is somewhere. Yes. And then they're going, what's that mean? Oh, well, imagine it. You've got like these little animals, like like some little cute bears, but they're quite dopey. Um, sort of b- b- bouncing animals called can- you, you You just sound like a maniac. None of it would sound reasonable or relevant. You'd be like, you know, in, in about 
700 times they're going to be making really great soap operas some of which are going to be shown twice a day on British television <laughs> it's that good and sometimes you'll, you'll have watched the early version and you'll still watch the afternoon version of that soap opera and you won't mind you'll enjoy it some of those stars will have breakout careers they'll become singers one in particular um, quite a diminutive uh, young lady called Kylie Minogue who started off as a mechanic called Charlene she will become a global superstar that <laughs> Honestly, can you go do anywhere on a boat? <laughs> that is a really good point. How, like Chris, for example, how, how are you convincing someone in that situation? What, what are you doing to sell yourself as someone they should listen to? Maps is a, t- it's a tricky thing, isn't it? Because it, you, say you, you draw a perfectly accurate map of the world. I think you're just going to get shrugs back. Yeah. But it's interesting when, I, when you, if you go to the British Museum or you see those ancient maps mm. that some, bear some resemblance to the world. You're like, how on earth have they managed that? Like Mapamundi, do you remember that? What's a Mapamundi? What's that? Mapamundi is any medieval European map of the world. So right. we studied these at school, and they are... I'm not having a go at medieval cartographers. Oh, of course I am. I am. <laughs> Hilariously, you can, Ellis. It's fine. They're all dead now. None of, none of them. None of them are listening. They were shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you rather just sort of chance your arm without a map if you were back then? You had to get somewhere. Would you just go? I'm just going to freestyle it because that is clearly useless. Um, it is difficult, isn't it? I think if you met a cartographer or a map maker. In, Maybe then they'd be more into it, but but the stuff you were saying would be so different to what they thought was best and what they thought was right. You, you I, I think that they, I think they'd be like, sorry, man. I mean, sorry, son. I've I've been making maps for about forty years in Hereford Cathedral, and I kind of think I, <laughs> I think I know where the Vatican is. Actually, mate, you're fucking miles out. <laughs> scale means it's completely off as well. I'm looking at your map, about 1% of it is sea. You've completely missed the Pacific and you've completely missed the ocean. You've um, completely missed the Atlantic, you complete oaf. I would say, Ellis, if you do go back, I wouldn't get so aggressive so quickly if you're trying to sell. <laughs> That's probably not the way to get your the result you want in 24 hours. If after two minutes you're telling him he's a wanker and he has no idea what he's doing career-wise. <laughs> Maybe sort of give a little bit of sugar. <laughs> Calling a medieval cartographer an oaf. I basically think, are you you the same as this? I I have a feeling that I would say that Chris is probably all right on this front, but I would struggle. I'm so glad I live in the era of the sat-nav. Like, just even (laughs) decent maps in the 80s and 90s. I had no idea what I was doing when I was asked to do I began my stand-up career in the year 2005, and I was a driver. I used to drive you to gigs. Um, and I didn't get a sat-nav until about 2010. So for five years, I was doing it either with um, either wrote, you know, A to Z AA route planners or the uh, printout sheets of the AA route planner sort of website. But the prob- God, that takes me back. Yes. But the problem with that, if you go wrong once, the rest of the sheets are completely useless. <laughs> I'll just own a, own a sort of tale of what could have been. Yeah. <laughs> 15 pages of what you could have had. I remember, trying to, I remember trying to drive to a gig in East London, took a wrong turning in West London, and then I was just in London with absolutely no idea where to go. 
<laughs> and it was horrible. Uh, the sat-nav, yeah. I mean, it, it is... Can you imagine? I don't know. Being a pirate in the the golden age of piracy and you've got access to a sat-nav. Do you, do you know what I've kind of... I was thinking the other day, like, does anyone... It was such a big thing to pull over and ask someone for directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would happen to you all the time. It just doesn't happen. Like, that's a, that's a thing that's been lost down the generations. My grandfather was apparently, apparently refused to do this. So my, my mother grew up in Carmarthen, went to Liverpool University, and they got... I think they got as far as Liverpool. And then... My, my my mother and father, my mother and my grandmother were like, can we not just pull over and ask someone? He was like, no. So then he's just driving around Liverpool, des- <laughs> desperately looking for some for the address where the whole residence were. But yeah, I used to, I used to ask people all the time. In in the, the first five years, I was constantly asking people. Did you ever do that thing where someone pulls over and asks you for directions and you go, oh yeah, you need to go like down there and left. And then they, you see them pull away and you're like, oh actually, is that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad I live now. I think yeah, pre sat nav nightmare. So one more uh, one day time machine before we move on to something else. Hello, Alice, Tom, and Chris. I'm really enjoying the podcast and being able to follow the real time invention of so many hot new format points. <laughs> I don't know where I would choose to go with the one-day time machine, but your recent question about what clearly demonstrable fact would you show someone from the past to blow their mind really got me thinking. In the end, I came up with soap. Oh. I've made soap as a hobby, and it's quite straightforward, really. I definitely think I'd be able to make some rough bars of the stuff, even with limited supplies available in the Middle Ages. Depending on what was around where I turned up, I may even throw in some lavender or whatever. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or, what, or whatever suggests he's, he hasn't got any other ideas yeah. beyond lavender. <laughs> he's chucked in as if to say, I could come up with loads of things now, but I'm not going to. But it really means I've just got lavender. Yeah, some, some basil, so you'd smell like soup. Um, <laughs> it probably wouldn't look anything like something you'd find in Lush, but I think I could at least demonstrate the power of using soap to sanitise your hands quite convincingly to people from the unwashed Middle Ages, perhaps by showing the difference in rate of decay between food handled by clean versus dirty hands. If there's, if there's one thing, this is such a good point, you really do not want to do in the past, it, it gets sick. Because think about it, n- even like no paracetamol, the lack of pain relief. Yeah, that's a uh, really good point. Uh, if there's one thing you really do not want to do in the past, it's get sick. So I think focusing on uh, on it and sanitisation would be a pretty sensible approach to time travel. Keep up the good work, Ruben. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I've got an idea though. I think Kelly should have touched on something there. Yes, going back. I think the thing you could do to to amaze people think about like the outbreaks of cholera in london that were all from those water yeah. pumps that took us yeah. centuries to figure out quite late on you just go typhoid cholera stop drinking out these bloody pumps yeah. go get some fresh water elsewhere you'll be Buy fine some bottled water you oaf <laughs> <laughs> this is from lauren chepstone this is relevant to that last email from ruben Hi guys, thanks for working so hard on the podcast. It's been a genuine joy from day one, something to look forward to for my dull Monday commutes. My husband mentioned something the other day that I thought was interesting. Would a person from the past be blown away by the absence of bad smells in the present? So that you're bringing someone from the past into 2023 in this uh, scenario. The past must have been really stinky with a heady combo of body odour, rotting rubbish in the streets, piss in the gutters and other aromas. Do they count as aromas or smells? <laughs> so if we were to use the one-day time machine to bring someone back from the past, a la Bill and Ted, would they be shocked at how fragrant the present is? Something to ponder, Lauren Chepstow. 
I think the city. I think the city basically stinks. But a field now is going to be a field in sixteen hundred. I think broadly the smells would be. All I right. was on the Westway in London, and we had our windows down. And within a couple of minutes, the car was just full of fumes from other cars. I thought this is not good. But then again, yeah, that I think it, it does a less healthy smell than someone's sweat. Isn't it from the year sixteen hundred, for instance? That's yes. just unpleasant, but it's not—it's not damaging your lungs. But we are—we're accustomed to smells here, aren't we? So that is it—is it that? Is it? Would they actually? There's a chance that maybe things like you know soap and let's, let's say if you showed a medieval person a bath bomb, they might think it's an awful. <laughs> that's a thing. Like, so, if so, you... so, so if I turned up, the overwhelming smell of radox would be like people yeah. are like, oh my god. <laughs> but there is a Can chance. You Imagine if you went back to 1600 with a little bottle of that mint tea gel <laughs> stuff. <laughs> People would think they were rotting. Yeah, yeah the, 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 the Australian mint one. Yeah. It was quite big about 10 years ago. We used to feel like your scalp was burning as you washed your hair. I think there is a good chance that people would be disgusted by your smell because it would be so unusual. All right, then so you'd have someone. <laughs> but I could quite easily see a situation where someone. Walks up to you, covered in, covered in sort of feces and having not washed in four years, yeah. and still you're the problem. I can still see that. <laughs> well, uh, do you know what? Funny. On that note, my daughter said to me the other, the other morning. She was like, um, "Oh, your your breath really stinks." I went, "Really? Of what?" She went, "Toothpaste." <laughs> so maybe like, if you go back to sixteen hundred, people would be like, "This geezer's breath yeah. is absolutely toxic. Why? It just smells like mint." On that toothpaste thing, and that is the thing I've thought about before. The idea of Kissing someone in medieval times, medieval mouths must have been quite disgusting. Why are you go- sorry? Why are you going back to sixteen hundred and going straight on the pool? No, I'm just saying no. That the good well, night sweetheart approach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tom's first thought is, God, what's a snogging going to be like back here? <laughs> My wife says I'm not allowed to kiss anyone else unless it's in a different time. So if I if I go forward or back in time, then then we're on a break. That's what she says. Tom's rocking up at the oldie tavern, and he's parking no. up at the bar. He's read the game. <laughs> I'm negging someone. He's just got one too. Negging immediately. <laughs> no, I didn't mean me. I meant for two one. in love. Hopefully, in love, medieval yeah. people when they're kissing, it just it just must be acceptance that your teeth yeah. have old food. One tooth. Yeah, you're just like, this is part of the deal. Yeah, exactly. So maybe maybe of... sex was completely kissless. Yeah. <laughs> like animals. Um, this is a great email from Cameron. Shumai Ellis, that's the bunch word for hello. Hi, Tom and Chris. Whilst I'm predominantly a 20th century historian rather than a medievalist, I might be able to provide some information to help answer your questions from the other week about the extent that combatants in medieval battles got stuck into the mixer, which was a great, which was a great use of a, um, <laughs> a, a cliche from football commentary to describe medieval battles, describing them as the mixers. It's how usually... People describe the sort of eighteen-yard box in football where the, where the you know where a lot of goals are scored. So we were basically discussing whether people really threw themselves into the fight. That's what it was. And could you have time off? Yeah. So you know you've done a you've done a couple of minutes of sword fighting. Your arm is sore. You're knackered. <laughs> you're like I'm just going to go and stand over there for a bit, and then I'll, I'll get my breath back and, and see where that takes me. 
In the early 2000s, researchers at the University of Manchester examined and reconstructed the remains of a middle-aged man, number 16, who was killed at the Battle of Towton during the Wars of the Roses. They found that his skull had several wounds in the forehead and temporal bones, meaning that he likely died after being struck in the head with a poleaxe. He also had a long cut across the bottom of his face that had split his jawbone in two, leaving a gaping hole in his face. The blow would have bled excessively, cut his facial nerves and may also have damaged his tongue. This would have impacted his ability to speak and eat and led to a loss of feeling across his face. However, the wound was well healed, albeit leaving a massive scar, meaning that it was not actually inflicted at Towton, but rather at a previous battle. Despite such a horrific injury, this man went back into the mixer, knowing full well what he was letting himself in for. Of course, you don't know for certain whether or not he did so completely willingly, but the healing of this old wound implies that it was treated quickly, with researchers believing that he may receive preferential access to a barber surgeon as a result of higher social standing. This perhaps offers an indication of how much agency he had in the decision to get stuck in at Houghton. I love the way this genuine historian keeps using the phrase stuck in. (laughs) You can read the article below if you'd like to see a reconstruction of what his face might have looked like. Uh, it's very if you just Google image facial reconstruction battle of Towton number sixteen, it's quite easy to find. I did that just now. Uh, there's a long article on the Science Direct uh, website. the The scar is bad. Okay. Uh, it, it, yeah. <laughs> he would have. It's not. It's not like a shaving nick. It's 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 properly. Uh, yeah. No, it really, really isn't. Even though it would have been treated by a barber, um, it is bad. And yet he decided to get back. You know, it's stuck back into the mixer straight away afterwards. Um, it's fascinating, though, the idea of had such a, a bad injury. But obviously, the Battle of Towton, I don't know if he was a professional soldier. The other thing, imagine having a gash that bad treated by your barber. I'm just looking at the pictures now. And we'll put this on our Instagram. I have to say, it doesn't look that bad. He's like, it, it, that's, this is in 1461. If this, this guy... Had this done now, I'd go, God, they've done well there. That's incredible. Oh, yeah, I mean, they've done a good job on stitching him back up. But if you look at... The, I've seen a picture of his skull, and um, he, he, it's a nasty gash. Uh, and <laughs> if I was fighting in a battle and a bloke turned up with a gash that big on his face that had healed, I would shit myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking that. Would you shit yourself, or would you go, well, there's a guy who's been absolutely turned over before? Yes, I mean, he looks a little bit like the Terminator. Um, (laughs) Barber surgeons are interesting. Most early physicians disdained surgery, and the barbers did surgery of wounds, blood, letting, cupping and leaching, enemas, and extracting teeth. Since the barbers were involved not only with haircutting, hairdressing, and shaving, but also with surgery, they were called barber surgeons. The phrase jack of all all trades comes to mind. Do you think there'd be um, a sort of... That feeling when you're having a haircut as well, because it's a barber surgeon, to have conversations about any nice holidays they've got coming up. So for that, while they're <laughs> stitching your face together, is it like that? Or, or when they put they put your lower jaw back together, they get the mirrors out and go, "Happy with that? <laughs> nice and tight, stitched it all together." Thanks for that. Right, see you in a, see you in a month. <laughs> Do we want to chat about historical relatives? Oh, yes, please. I can actually return this conversation back to hot air balloons, courtesy of a lovely email from Becky. Mm. 
Hi, Chris Tomanellis. Hope you're well. Loving the pod. I have an MA in medieval history because I panicked and wanted to put off adulthood for another year. So it's taken <laughs> me back to the good old days. A historical relative for you. My grandma and I did some family history a few years ago and found lots of Fran- French ancestry on my mum's side, including a relative who allegedly escaped the siege of Paris during the Franco-Prussian War in 1870 wow. via hot air balloon. Oh, <laughs> He... Oh. Well, Ellis, if you're escaping <laughs> on something, to my mind, it's a mode of transport. He travelled onto the UK and settled in the East Midlands, which I suppose had to be mildly better than besieged Paris. Escaping via a hot air balloon from a siege. So slow, isn't it? If you are escaping from a siege in a hot air balloon, you're giving the finger, aren't you? It would, no, it would be <laughs> horribly slow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I once, I once drove away from some football fans, some legion, um, and a, a friend of mine had given the finger to. Traffic lights were a bloody nightmare. <laughs> go, 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 go! <laughs> so you take off in the hot air balloon. Yeah. The Prussians are laying siege to Paris. You look down, you go, have that, have that. Then the wind stops. Yeah. yeah. And you realise you've got a rope dangling down and they've just grabbed hold of it so you're going nowhere. <laughs> As well. You're going Zuta law. It's such a slow way to get away, isn't it? It's well, it's either slow or I would say chillingly fast, <laughs> depending on the wind. <laughs> also, you don't have much control as to where it's taking you as well. It might blow you into sort of a, a worse uprising. Yeah, yep. into Prussia on the wind. <laughs> this is the one thing I didn't want to happen. You drift across the border. <laughs> but mind you, when you land, you might go, you're not going to bloody believe this. And they'll, they'll go, oh, you've been unlucky. We'll let you go. With your tricolour-coloured uh, coloured balloon. Clear <laughs> where you've come from. <laughs> yeah. Also, it must have been... I mean, people must have been desperate to get in that hot air balloon. And there's only room in the busket for three or four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the, it's like the last chopper out of Saigon, yeah. but just really the last, slow. The last basket. <laughs> That's amazing. And, it's, and, and we're, we're not assuming that he floated to Britain. It says that he he, he emigrated to Britain. That wasn't on the he hot didn't. air balloon, was it? Well, the email implies that, but I wouldn't like to speculate. Cut off. He cut. That's like a month, isn't it, to get across the, the channel? Surely in a hot air balloon. <laughs> Not a month. I don't know. Well, well it depends where. I mean, uh, Eurostar takes an hour. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Let's stay in the air. We've had an email from Andy Rouse. His grandfather was a rear gunner in a Lancaster bomber during the Second World War, which was the job, if you can call it that, which had the shortest life expectancy wow. in the war. Now, that's a difficult sell, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, sir. Yeah. Hello, old chap. Got any family? Loved ones? Um, one or two. <laughs> um, Andy goes on. He said he found a collection of diary pages from him and other members of the crew after he passed away. And they often had a full English before flying because the flights were long. And they played football on the tarmac before flying because oh. why not? The chances of coming home were slim and you might as well have a laugh. I love that. Yeah. See, I do like yeah. that bit of it. That bit sounds quite... I'd, see, what, the full English in the football? I love fry-ups. I love a game of football. If I was trying to sell the role of rear gunner to someone in World War II, I'd lead with the football and the full English, rather than yeah. that. It's the shortest <laughs> life expectancy. I'd start with that. That'll be on the front page yeah. of the brochure. Do you like sausages? Yes. <laughs> Do you like football? <laughs> Do you believe in the yes. phrase, live fast, die young? <laughs> 
also, you wouldn't you wouldn't give a shit about the co- cholesterol content of a fry yeah. up, would you? Absolutely. I'll have the fried bread. I'll have the black pudding. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. If me and some other crew in the Lancaster bomber were going on what might be the last flight of our lives, would I want that cockpit stinking of farts? Would I want to go out to the smell of excrement as as several bodies digest a deep-fried sausage? Well, for my breakfast, I'd have a fry-up, I'd have a dairy milk, milk tray, (laughs) box of Quality Street, box of roses, Sunday dinner, lasagna, a Chinese and curry. That reminds me, actually, when I was young and I heard about like the death row and you get the last meal, mm. I remember thinking, well, if I was ever on death row, I would just order, keep ordering the courses until like, they keep putting off the execution because <laughs> I'll, I'll just keep ordering another after eight mint, another bean. A h- 140 yep. course tasting menu <laughs> <laughs> that sees you through for the next 30 years. <laughs> I read once that pizza is the most commonly ordered meal mm. for your last meal. Very, that's a very underwhelming choice, I think. Yeah, <laughs> McDonald's as well. Apparently, McDonald's is one of the is one of the key ones. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I've had much of an appetite. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> I think that when it came to that point, well, according to your Lancaster bomber theory, you're having a full English. Yeah, but there's still hope in that situation that you might return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Back. It's going to take quite the sort of uh, set of events to see you return to your cell and release, isn't it? So I think <laughs> as they brought in the oysters, like oh, I think I'll pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I ordered them. I don't want into shellfish. I always fancy t- I always fancy trying oysters. Seems a little bit pointless now. I must admit. <laughs> Leave the. I'll just get the bill. <laughs> Shall we wrap up this correspondence special with some emails about battle reenactments? Do we fancy that? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, Before we get into that, I want to re- read one quick email, which I've, is one of my favourite emails we've ever received. It's very short. It simply says, Hi, um, I'm 75, I live on my own, and I love anything audio. I have sat here like Queen Victoria for ages, not amused, but now I've found your podcast, and at last I'm laughing out loud. Thank you, Jan. How sweet is that? That's a big win. That's a huge win, Jan. Uh, thank That's you so much. Win. That's uh, That means the world. It genuinely does. Okay, let's get into the world of battle reenactment. So a few weeks ago, I talked about going to battle reenactment and seeing someone wearing Converse All-Stars and it really taking me out of the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've had a number of emails on people who've had similar situations. So uh, I'm going to start with Kyle. Kyle has emailed us to say, Good afternoon, lads. All this talk of historical reenactments gone wrong got me thinking about a family holiday in Cornwall and a medieval fair at Pendennis Castle in Falmouth. There was a hog roast, music and jousting. It was thoroughly entertaining. Now, the knights paraded around on their horses and were introduced to the crowd. We have the red knight, who was a good knight. There was a green knight, the yellow knight, and the blue knight, who was the baddie. And the baddie knight rode around gesturing to the crowd and sneering at the children and generally being a good heel of a character. Out of interest, how do you think you get into that job, by the way? I think you've either got to have, have, gone, have gone quite far down the rung of acting or gone quite far down the rung of being an actual knight. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> or you have two passions, horse riding and pole vaulting, and you're not quite sure how to combine the two. Or the crap knights, when they get released from their knight contracts. <laughs> this is for you. So, Kyle has said... 
All was going well at this Cornish event, and the crowd were loving the opportunity to boo and hiss at the Blue Knight up until the first run of the first match of the event when the Blue Knight took a lance directly to the crops from the red light. From <gasps> oh the red knight. She said there was a single short, shrill scream followed by a collective ooh from the crowd. As I still can't tell whether this scream was from the audience member or the Blue Knight himself. The lances were only made of light wood and shattered on impact. However, I imagine there was still a considerable amount of force generated into a single point of contact, which is such a good point. Well, we found we found my worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's two single points of contact as well when you think about it. So, this is where it gets worse. 45 minutes later, long after the jousting had finished, the Blue Knight was still sitting on his horse behind the tent in the same hunched (laughs) position. (laughs) Where he was first hit. We get so we get quite a few emails about like jousting accidents, like things gone wrong and enactments gone wrong. Exactly like, to the extent that you think, why are these carrying on? We need to draw a line under this. So he was still sat on the horse half an hour, forty-five minutes later, hunched in the same position with his helmet still on, and members of the St John's ambulance trying to coax him off the horse. Oh my god! <laughs> the answer there, of course, is walk the horse into the ambulance with the knight still on it. Surely that's the answer. <laughs> Take out the bed. It's basically a horse box, isn't it? I must say. <laughs> I can't imagine that the uh, medieval reenactment jousting community is particularly big on health and safety. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, they, I think they probably treat the health and safety at 1974 with some disdain. It says here that this guy, he was eventually led away out of sight by often thinking about this man and how his life turned out post-jowls. Did he ever have children? Was he led on horseback directly to horse hospital? Did his confidence take a knock that day? Anyway, keep up the good work, lads. The podcast certainly brightens up my week. Best wishes, uh, Kyle. You'd be terrified at having a look at them. Yeah, you would. The first time you took your chamber off. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. How is this sport, though? not the most popular sport in the world. But jousting. Still, considering people's th- thirst for danger and excitement, it's people ru- running at each other with a horse and trying to knock it. It's like, it should be huge still. I think it's been replaced by gym fail videos, <laughs> which now just appear on my Twitter feed, even though I don't follow any of these accounts. And some of the ones I've seen are absolutely horrific. <laughs> Yeah. Give me an example. Idiotic American man tries to bench press 485 pounds like his arms have snapped. You're like, I, I, I don't want to see this. <laughs> well, you say you don't want to see this, Ellis, but the reason it's being recommended to you is because you keep clicking on them. That's literally how algorithms work. <laughs> so you'll defend it. You're saying, I don't want to see this, but technology suggests you're lying. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'm going to say it. If there was, like, uh, a pay-per-view jousting event on, you know... Zone. Yeah, I'd go, and it was it was a lot of promo around it. I think I'd tune in. I would certainly, uh, I would certainly buy a cricket box. I'd probably double up actually, having uh, read that email. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna f- I'm gonna finish with one more um, email. This is from Jonathan. Jonathan says, "Hi, folks, love the podcast." Uh, I'm going to try and pronounce this right. Uh, Gurma Agut, which is Irish for "Thank you very much." 
Oh, Apologies great. if I've read that wrong. On the subject of historical reenactments, when I was in primary school, there was a time when we had actors dressed up as Vikings who would visit our assemblies to demonstrate Viking life in Ireland as it was. As it was. And they'd bring artefacts and props and always dress up in the garb of the time. Now, given that we were growing up in 90s Belfast, we always wanted to see the Vikings fight each other. I would always <laughs> ask them to fight when they asked any questions. So they'd say, if you got any questions, they'd put their hand up and ask that they'd fight. And they said that the Vikings would refuse, given our daily exposure to violence growing up. Of course, this was a sort yeah, obviously a difficult time in Belfast at the time. Maybe with the impending peace process being introduced shortly, the Vikings finally relented one week and had a mock fight with their axes and shields. And in the midst of the battle, one of the Vikings severed their finger when it was caught by an axe on accident when attempting to parry a blow. Oh my god. <laughs> Rather oh. pure horror, I can vividly remember the assembly hall bursting and going absolutely, and I love this word, boogaloo, at the thought of blood <laughs> being drawn. <laughs> To which the principal had to step in to halt the proceedings, made a break from the religious breakdancing groups we used to get on other occasions. Cheers, Jonathan. So there you are, a battle reenactment at the school with two Vikings where someone lost a finger. It is a dangerous game. That's the moral of the story. A dangerous game. stuff well that's it for this week thank you so much for your emails and once again thank you for all the ratings and reviews you're leaving on your podcast app of choice and if you want to add to that tally why not five stars if you can thank you so much normal service we'll resume next week we'll get back into some more history but do keep those emails coming in the meantime until next week bye bye goodbye